Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 302, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Rick and talk about cutting your spending and analyzing your real estate investment. And so, like, how can I retire even at like 65 or 67? But I would really like to retire in the next five to 10 years because um, I'd like to play a little bit with my, have that financial freedom um, and do some of the things I haven't been able to do because I've always been behind that financial equal. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen and joining me today is my inquisitive co-host, Scott Trench. Never question your intros, Mindy though. So, but thank you. Thank you very much for another good show today. Scott, thank you for a good show today. This was a great show. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or just get a little bit more flexibility in your financial position, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I am excited about talking to Rick today. When I first read his application, which he applied at biggerpockets.com slash finance review, I felt the frustration that he had about his financial position. But once we started talking to him, I think that he's being a little bit hard on himself. Yes, he's having some cash crunch issues. And yes, I believe there are things that he could be doing better. But I think that he is in a good financial position, especially given all of the situations that he started off with. We'll we'll start off with a bit of his background to give some context to where he's coming from and then jump into his numbers and, and see where he's going. Yeah, I, I, I think Rick has a lot going for him, a lot of positives in here. Um, I think that, you know, he wishes he'd started earlier. I'm sure most people wish they'd started earlier, but he's doing great. There's a lot of pieces to move here. And I think there's a lot of uh, fun um, discussion that we can have and a really complex but um, interesting financial position to unpack um, and 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 make some moves. So I think we helped Rick, and I and I and I am excited to see what he does over the next couple of months. I am too. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to Nerd Wallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let Nerd Wallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerd Wallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. 
Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, before we jump in, we need to tell you that the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I, nor Bigger Pockets, is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Rick lives in a medium cost of living area, is former military, and looking to retire early in about five years. He's looking for guidance on how to grow his real estate portfolio to help him generate enough income to make his early retirement dreams a reality. Rick, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been listening to you since uh, COVID happened. <laughs> and I was started rehabbing a, a duplex, and uh, it, it's just been such an amazing learning experience for me. So I'm really happy to be here today. So Rick, let's jump into a little bit of your backstory before we look at your numbers. Where does your journey with money begin, and what sort of system are we looking at before we look at where your money is going? Well, it depends on how far back you want to go. Um, if we start with my childhood, uh, my financial journey started with the zero money. Uh, and I've heard this from other guests on the, on the show as well. Um, my parents divorced when I was seven. Um, my dad was a veteran. Yeah, I, he wasn't working at the time. My mom was a stay at home mom raising two kids. And, uh, my financial journey really started with like seeing somebody who was working hard as a mom and then working, trying to pick up jobs, um, you know, go forward with her education. She started in a mental hospital, working as a nurse's aide, went and got some certification, went back to a hospital. You know, she went on to more school, got an LPN. She went back to school. And by the time I graduated high school, she had a baccalaureate RN. So what I saw was, you know, a mom who was, struggling financially. We were on public assistance the entire time, but she was going to school, getting a job, going back to school and getting another job. And so that really set sort of a foundation of hard work for me. And so I started working when I was 12 with, you know, just paper routes and stuff, but I could, I was able to, you know, buy books and things like that. And I wasn't very good with my money because I spent it all. <laughs> Every time I went and made the collections for the newspapers, um, I, you know, I'd give it to the newspaper what they needed to have. And then the rest was my money. And it went to like things like video games and comic books and, and stuff like that. Um, later on in high school, I, I became a little bit more responsible. And so I would use whatever money I got from work for things like buying new football shoes every season, things like that. So I think I had a, a good idea of how not to spend money unless I absolutely needed to later on in life because I didn't have any money. And then uh, going on to college, um, you know, I basically did that all with student loans for my undergraduate. And that was because I couldn't, um, 
get Pell Grants or anything like that because my mom made too much money. She had, uh, she had gone into the Air Force and when I went to the financial aid office, I've been listening to a lot of like the college expense uh, shows you've been doing recently. And I went into the financial aid office and I said, well, why can't I get any Pell Grants? They said, your mom makes too much money. And I told them, but she's paying back her student loan. She just got out of college like a year ago. Uh, so I, I had a, about $30,000 of student loans by the time I graduated. And uh, then I had to figure out how to pay all that back. And I just didn't have the financial literacy to really understand what I was getting into as a college student, taking out all these loans. And so, you know, uh, I had done a lot of jobs that trained me to be like a videographer. I was once a wedding videographer, the worst job in the world. <laughs> but the uh, they always had Swedish meatballs and they were great. <laughs> The funny thing about that is that this was in the UP of Michigan and they're mostly Finnish people. So I don't know what it was with Finnish people and the Swedish meatballs. Oof. Some kind of cross-cultural thing going on there. Um, and so after college, I was just kind of burnt out because I was working all of these like production jobs and I didn't want to go work at a news channel or something like that. So I went out West and I started working construction, but that wasn't paying me enough. And then I ran into a friend who was working for a fishing company in Alaska. And he came back with a brand new shiny truck and he made $15,000 in three months. And this was mid nineties. And so I said, this is my get rich, rich scheme here. I'm going to go, I'm going to work for six months and I'm going to pay off all my student loans. And then we didn't catch any fish. So I came back with no money at all after that. And so my last resort was, and it wasn't like a last resort. It was actually my first resort, but I went and did the fishing because it would have been faster. I joined the military, the army specifically, because they had a student loan repayment program. And after three years of service, they would have paid off a year's worth of my loans for those three years. So I'd be debt-free there. And so that's what I did. I joined the military. Um, they paid for that. And then I got the GI Bill on the tail end coming out. And then I went back to school for a master's. And I had to start taking out more student loans. Like I didn't learn my lesson the first time. And uh, I got my MA. And then I went on for a PhD. And I just took out still more student loans. So I ended up with about $60,000 in student loans um, after I got my PhD. And by this time, I'm old already. And now I'm older now, um, 12 years later. So I'm trying to dig myself out of all of these holes. And I think I'm doing a reasonably well job, but I really just need more help. And like, I'm almost 50. The gray hairs are just coming into my beard, not up here. I don't, <laughs> I don't have any gray hair up here. I don't know why. Um, and so like, how can I retire even at like 65 or 67? But I would really like to retire in the next five to 10 years because um, I'd like to play a little bit with my have that financial freedom um, and do some of the things I haven't been able to do because I've always been behind that financial eight ball. Okay, so I have a question about your student loans. You have the GI Bill and you still have student loans on top of that. Did you exhaust the GI Bill or did you not right. qualify for the GI Bill? No, at the time, the GI Bill paid for your classes, your tuition and fees. And I think there might have been a little bit in there for books and stuff, but it, it doesn't, it, it wasn't covering living expenses. Oh, okay. So I was, I was working as a teaching assistant. So I was teaching like the, you know, 
first year composition course. And at well, first I went back and got another bachelor's, which is, I kind of needed to do because I had a, I think a 2.84 after my first bachelor's. Oh. I was one of those like resistant students. Like I just want to take the classes I need for my future profession. I don't want to take all these other courses. So I did fail Arab Islamic history. That was a really bad one hmm. and a few other courses. And so, uh, but when I was in the army, uh, I really decided that I really want to go back to school, get a graduate degree and, you know, possibly become a professor. And the only way for me to do that was to go back and get another bachelor's. And I did that just went back to my original school, just took the credits for the English major, which cut it down to about a year and a half. So I had enough funding really to get through that first year and a half of school, finish the bachelor's then move on to the master's in English. Well, can you, can you, I mean, I, I think that's a, uh, thank you for giving us that awesome backstory with this and, and uh, great to hear the goals five to 10 years, getting to financial freedom, having room to play and, and, and run with that. Could you, could you tell us about your situation right now in more detail? Sure. Um, you know, income expenses, yeah. assets, liabilities, mm -hmm. general situation. Definitely. Um, we have one single family home that we're living in now. That's our kind of like live and flip uh, situation. I've actually been working on baseboards all morning. You can't see them behind me. And, and who's we? Uh, who's we? Oh, my wife, my wife Kendra and I. Um, and so we moved here during the beginning of COVID. It was that March. Um, we were actually working on rehabbing our duplex. We had one side rented out. And we had one side that we were living in. So we were house, house hacking that. Um, and then our tenants moved out. And it wasn't for COVID-related reasons, but they kind of left in the middle of March. And then I started plans to finish the rehab over there and, and rent that. And that took me about six months. And then we moved over here. So now we have a duplex and we have a single family home. Um, we have a, our take-home pay is around $8,000. Then we have uh, Kendra has a car. That's about four oh five a month. We have the mortgage, taxes, and insurance because everything's in escrow um, for our single family home, and that's eleven hundred dollars a month. Car insurance about one twenty three. Phones around a hundred. Um, you know, electric, internet. That's around two hundred. Pets cost around one hundred to one hundred fifty dollars a month. We have two dogs. Then we have things like, you know, water, Netflix, Amazon Prime, um, a pet plan with PetSmart for 78. I think other big items are food. Uh, we've been using Mindy sheets. We use those for January, and February, those worksheets. They were super helpful for us because we were spending way too much on food, especially uh, HelloFresh uh, and eating out. I learned from Mindy also that you can have a separate booze budget. So <laughs> we have a separate booze budget um, that is around $200 a month. Uh, we, we try to keep eating out to between $50 to $75 a week. And um, Kendra has uh, a 401k. She puts $1,200 into a month. And then I only put $50 into my, it's actually a 457 through my university. I only put $50 into it because that's the match. Mm -hmm. So it's not very good. So that's really why I kind of focused on real estate, putting my money into that, uh, doing the work myself, 
as much as I possibly can. Uh, we have, we put $200 a month away for like no questions asked fund money. Learn that from your podcast as well. Uh, we also have a travel fund that we put $500 into each month. And then, so that comes to those total expenses come to around $6,000. And I, there are just things I think that come up every month that take you over the 6,000 that we plan to spend mm -hmm. every month. So I think we're, we're basically living check to check. Yep. And what do you guys do right now? Uh, I'm a professor at a university here in Chattanooga and she is a nurse. So we, we have good jobs, but we don't make a ton of money in those jobs. And so, and we keep our real estate separate. Like we, we really don't count that as income. Okay. And really it's just, it's just, just been getting off the ground. So we really can't count it as income. And is that income, um, the 8,000 a month, is that pre-tax or post-tax? That's post-tax and all deductions, even for investments and stuff. So combined income is probably close to like $120,000, $130,000 a year? Yeah. Pre-tax? Okay. That's about right on. Awesome. And then what, so how much, what, what is your uh, wealth situation look like? Can you walk us through uh, cash, your cash position, investments, and debts? Yes. <laughs> it's going to be a short list, folks. No problem. Um, especially these days. My gosh. I looked at my account this morning and it had lost 12% um, for my 457. So in terms, I think our net worth is estimated to be about $349,000, which, you know, I looked up, you know, like stats and stuff. It's like, we're not horrible. We're above the median. Yeah, you're doing good. Um, so investment accounts, we have roughly $120,000 in those. In real estate, I think we have about $275,000 in equity. Um, I have a paid off car. It's a truck. These days, trucks are going for a lot, so I don't know if it's going to last forever, but I'd estimate that's worth between fifteen dollars to $20,000. Kendra's car still has lien on it, so I'd, I'd put that, you know, if you pay that off, we have about $6,000 worth of car there. Um, we have our travel fund, which is about $2,000 right now. Cash reserves, about 4000 And I would also call that our emergency savings. Other than Visa, Visa is really the emergency savings because they're they're always there. They are always there. So that's our assets. Um, and then in terms of liabilities, we've got our duplex is still has one hundred forty eight thousand on it, and that's at three percent. Um, our single family homes at one hundred fifty seven, and that's at two point seven five percent. Kendra has a, a credit card of $5,000. I don't know what the percentage is on that one. And we use that. That was an emergency fund spend right there. One of our dogs, she tore an ACL. And so we had to get that replaced. And that's what that cost. Um, her car alone is at 11.5 at 4%. And then I have a few credit cards where I've, is basically all house rehab. So I have one at 11,000 and that's at 0% financing until April of next year. And I have one at $11,000 for another, um, that one's 0% until April of 23. And then I have 4,000 on a card that I just used to get our floors redone. And then the two other big items, of course, are student loans. I have $54,000 in student loans, but I'm probably going to get those discharged through the public service loan forgiveness program this summer because they're updating the counts right now, but I'm pretty close to that 120 mark. 
And then Kendra has $80,000 from her undergrad nursing degree and then her master's nursing degree. And because she's been working at nonprofits too, we can go through that employment certification process. And she's probably getting close to that as well. Love it. Well, thank you for all the detail here. This is great. And this is, this is really helpful. And I think we've got a, a lot to work with here. So this is, this is awesome. Um, and I'll, I'll also just say you guys are, are doing a lot of right things. You've got, you're building wealth. You've got the rental properties, you've got the investments going, um, you're spending less than you, you bring in, um, with that, especially when you count how much is going towards retirement accounts. So lot, lots of good things here, um, with that. And we've got a clear goal five years. Uh, we want the most flexible position possible, ideally, if not in 10 years, um, if we can get there, get there in 10 years. Is that, is that right? That's right. I mean, if we can make it happen for tomorrow, I mean, you guys would be working some magic. Um, <laughs> well, step one, win the lottery. Step if one, you could win. just go buy the, the winning lottery ticket, that is going to get you there tomorrow. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll cut here and then you can give me the number. There's actually a lottery called set for life, which is very confusing. Is there really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to focus on the student loans because it's going to be a really quick focus. Yours are supposed to be loan forgiveness programmed this summer. I'm just going to give you a research opportunity to make sure that you have done all the things that you're supposed to do, you made reference to the 120 payments that you have to make so that you can qualify for the loan forgiveness. And I am just going to make sure that I'm going to have you make sure that you've done all of the things. Um, I know that there were some problems maybe 10 years ago, five years ago with the loan forgiveness plan. So just make sure that all of your ducks are in a row because you're so close. Kendra student loans are a little farther out. So that's another research opportunity. How far out does she have to go? How many payments has she made? Is she 10 years into the program? Is she, what is it? It's 10, it's 10 it's years. Yeah, it's 10 years and so payments. Is she two years into the plan or is she really close to the end? If she's just in the beginning of the plan, sometimes it's better to make the payments. If she's close to the end, sometimes it's better to just go for that because there is the the loan forgiveness part. You may have to pay taxes on the part that's been forgiven. And this is where I get into the, I don't really know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to send you to the college loan investor, the college loan investor.com or student loan planner to find out more about these programs and make sure that you're following all the uh, rules surrounding them and to make sure that it's the right program for Kendra. Since you're so close, it is the right program for you because you're about to not have to pay all of that money back. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, some of the things that are confusing, it was confusing for me at first too, is like the annual recertification of your employment. You have to fill out that form every year, send that in, and then they have to do sort of the, their check to verify that you actually work for that employer. And that's the form your employer actually has to sign, uh, send to you, and then you should be sending that in. You shouldn't wait for your employer to submit that for you. So Kendra is farther out because she's only been in the program for about three years now. And the question is, is that you can go back if she was working for a nonprofit hospital for several years, way back when, and that can count. So you have to go through and get the employment certification form from that employer that says you are a full-time employee from this date to this date. Then you submit that to the, to the program, the PSLF. And it's really not PSLF. I think it's federal student aid. You submit it there first. Then they update the counts 
of how many months you have. And so that's one of my summer tasks is to, you know, get that information from her, get that form all set up so that we can send that in. Because it could be that she's close to the 10 years and 120 payments, but we just don't know yet. Okay. So that's a, that's a great question. Um, another thing is to look at after you're retired, do you want to do any sort of work at all? Do you want to teach one class a semester or zero classes and you're completely done? Um, what does your retirement look like after you have hit the number where you are generating enough income through your rental properties that you don't need to work anymore? I think in part, it's going to be what I'm doing right now for my part-time job, you know, like managing the, managing the rental, um, doing the rehab. Maybe I want to get out of that because my hands are, you know, like starting to fall apart as I age and it's getting harder and harder to hold a hammer. Um, and so we've been thinking about like one of our goals is we would like to travel. Um, if we had a short term rental, even just one to start with, right? We could, we want to pick some place where we want to travel to. We have a few cities in mind where everybody is investing. <laughs> like Destin, like Avery Carl is, you know, she's invested in Destin and Blue Ridge and up there in Gatlinburg. And of course, those are really close to us in Chattanooga. Those are all drivable places for us. So that's really one of our big goals. And then I could be managing, self managing all of those uh, rental properties as we go. So I don't see me giving that up, but I do other things. Like my first bachelor's was in painting and drawing and film and video. And so I really like to get back to doing some of the art that I used to do that I don't have time for anymore. Let's, let's kind of look the the biggest, the big, I think the, the, the the first thing we have to kind of think about is what's going to happen if nothing changes over the next three to five years about your financial position. Right. And, And right now, you're accumulating $1,200 a month in wealth uh, via Kendra's contribution to the 401k. You're also paying down the mortgage slightly. But where, how much cash flow beyond that is being added to your savings account each month? Savings account? What's a savings account? <laughs> but how, how, much, how much cash are you accumulating after tax? Yeah, Really none. Uh, because all of my all of my cash goes straight to like the rehab, the properties, anything like that. that, that that's a, so that, that that counts, right? Go, cash going into your rehab counts, right? You're, that's an investment. It's just an alternative to the stock market or other types of investments that you're putting in there. So how much how much are you accumulating on average over the course of a year, month, you know, or monthly? I would say monthly because I've been trying to pay it off as I go, even though I don't, because the, the significant credit card debt that is in my name. The roughly like 22,000, actually 26 now after the floor. A lot of that is from doing the rehab. And I'm able to put in probably at 1,000 to 1,750 a month to start paying that off. Okay. So that's, so that's my leftover cash goes towards that. So I'll call it 1,500 a month or $18,000 a year in cash is being generated by your household that can go towards investments outside the 401k. I mean, I would hope, but I, I think where I'm getting stuck is I, I have to pay off these credit cards. Now I, I love to dance around with the zero APRs, you know, move, move the debt from one card to the next, but I feel like I have to, I'm going to have to start paying that off uh, once the rehab is complete. And so everything's going to go towards that. Absolutely. But, but you're, you're generating $1,500 a month in cash and that can either go toward credit card payments. It can go towards rehab. It can go towards investments, but that's your cash surplus that your household is generating right now. 
Right. 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 So, so that's $18,000 a year. And over five years, that's about a hundred grand. Right. So that is, that is, I think the critical first step in thinking a, a situation like this, how do you have opportunities to increase income? Um, this kind of opportunities to increase income uh, on a, on a regular basis. And are there, can, can you cut a few hundred dollars out of that, the monthly expenses in the next couple of months, and then maybe, you know, a thousand or two over the next year or two, as you make some, like, for example, pay off Kendra's car, no more car payment. That might be three, four years. I don't know how long the, the payment is, but those are the kinds of things. If you can think through how I can get that number to, to widen, and you get that from 1700 or 1500 to 2000, 3000, now you're accumulating 36,000, $40,000 a year. Um, that will, that will greatly give you. That will give you many more good options and much less, I imagine, stress about balancing payments, going to credit cards versus rehabs versus other investments at this point in time. Yeah. Well, first on the on the jobs, I don't think we can do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an associate professor at my university, and professor, as you've probably had a guest on uh, when your previous podcast, like professor jobs are hard to get, mm-hmm. um, and moving or you'd have to move. If you want to get uh, higher pay, basically, you can't you can't really go in and say, please give me a raise because I've been doing these things. Right? You can't you really can't even kind of construct that sort of argument. Kendra is a nurse. She probably has more flexibility to move about. But she's she started this job, her current job, about a year ago, and she's been really happy with it, um, really loves the people and the patients. So and I think it's the stress level of the kind of nursing she's doing now compared to her past work in an ICU. Um, I don't see her really wanting to move jobs. So I think things like trying to cut her budget, maybe the booze budget has to go down a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, like her car, I think we could try to, to pay extra towards that every month. I did that with my truck because I bought my truck just a year ago. And before it really kicked in the rehab over here, I was putting an extra a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars on the truck every month. So I paid that off in about nine months. Mm-hmm. Really just doing what, what you're advising us to do. So maybe we could try that with her car and get that eleven thousand dollars down in the next year or so. Okay. And, and Mindy, I think you had a couple of, of notes about the budget as well. I do. I see that your phone is ninety-nine dollars a month. Yes. My friend Mint Mobile is $15 a month. So that's a big savings yes. right there. Mintmobile.com slash pockets. <laughs> I've heard that ad. Take advantage of that. I use Mint Mobile. I think it's great. It's it's solid service. It is, it's just less expensive. I mean, I don't notice any difference between Mint Mobile and uh, I can't even remember the name. I've had it for so long. I can't remember who I had before them. Um so that's a savings of what eighty five dollars right there seventy five yeah eighty five dollars right Mint there. Mint Mobile is a sponsor. They're not paying us for Mindy's ad right now. Uh, <laughs> no, that's I, my I, personal. I, I personally, I think they're great. I personally don't use them. I, <laughs> I, I want, I'm, I want to spend all the money on the data um, on the on the, on the very unlimited, very expensive plan. But but there, but yeah, I think it's a really good alternative to save a lot of okay. money, and that would be one. Of the yeah, look at that. Go. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. Um, another thing to look at is you have Netflix and, well, is this Amazon Prime? Is that Prime or Prime Video? The Prime Video. Well, we have the whole Amazon. The whole Amazon thing. So eco, the whole Amazon ecosystem. So something I've been. noted, and I've noticed is that when I have Amazon Prime, it is super easy to hit buy. But when I don't have Amazon Prime or when the item isn't Amazon Prime, I think about 
I do I really want this if I have to pay $3 for shipping? Because I'm so cheap. But yes. get rid of Amazon Prime and see how much easier it is to not buy things at the click of a button when you have to think about how much you're going to have to pay for shipping. And you have Netflix and YouTube Premium. Do you use, are those for the same things? Are those for the different things? And do you really need both of them? I mean, I'm a Netflix a shareholder, good, a so question. I don't want to tell you to get rid of Netflix. Everybody should join Netflix. But this is not for my personal gain. This is for your personal gain. And how much time do you spend watching Netflix? And can you get that someplace else? Can you get that cheaper? Can you go to the library and rent videos? Um, I, I, <laughs> I'm showing my age, yeah. but we're the same age. Right, right. no, no. Yeah, you, know, you go to the library and you rent a DVD. They have Absolutely. Redbox still outside of mm-hmm. the, ga- the grocery store. Um, but seriously, when was the last time you watched something on Netflix? Is this something that you're really doing? No, it's a great question. That, that would be the one for us to go, would be Netflix. It's the one we watch the least. You know, when it comes to Amazon Prime, you know, it's where I go to buy a dethatcher for the lawn. <laughs> so I, you, you, my Amazon spending is really just, I click, but it's usually just stuff for the house. I really don't buy things for myself. So I would probably keep that, get rid of Netflix. YouTube, I have that because I hate ads. Uh, and I actually watch a lot of YouTube for the do-it-yourself videos, bigger pockets videos. So commercials, I feel like I, I'm losing time by having to sit through promotions. Okay. So start with Netflix and see how yeah. that works um, right. and change your phone. Uh, your pet plan is $78. I don't have a pet, so I don't know what this is or what it covers. Uh, this is something we have through PetSmart. It's and it allows them to have as many visits as they need. We have our, do- our dogs are getting older, so they can come in um, and have as many visits without charges. To set. It's kind of like a pet insurance. Like veterinarian covers, visits? Yeah, oh, okay. it's vet services okay. through Banfield Pet Hospital, which is in every PetSmart. Are you using $78 worth of services a month? I don't know what a pet costs. So I'm going to say no. It, you know. We did. We had the the dog who had the torn ACL, which cost five thousand dollars. But we had to go to a special a specialist, a surgeon for that sort of service. So I don't know if we're getting our money's worth with that. So that, that's a really good question. Look over the past three to six months and see how many times did we take our dog there versus how much time how much would it have cost? Like if you took the dog there once and it would have been a fifty dollar charge, but you're paying seventy eight dollars every single month for this, that's an easy thing to like cut. But then take that seventy eight dollars and just put it into an account for six months. So you have yeah. pet that's I think that's smart fees in case you need to to pay them. It's our money. So, you know, it stays with us if we're saving it. Yeah. Why are you paying for Amazon Prime Video for the duplex? Um, This is kind of a, it's not really a long story. It was a long-term rental on that side. Uh, We had a tenant who moved to Hawaii. We wish we could have gone with her too. Uh, And she had really nice furnishings. And so we actually turned that duplex unit into a midterm rental. We bought her stuff. We put about 5,000 okay. into the unit total after with buying her stuff. Uh, and we turned that in, into a midterm rental that was actually generating about $750 more a month than it was as a long-term rental. Okay. So that's just a cost of doing business. I would separate out expenses like that from your personal expenses. That's the business. And you say, here's my revenue and expenses. And 
that's a perk you do to attract tenants, you know, 10 bucks a month for $750 more a month. Good, good return. Except we're ending that <laughs> because, because, because yeah, it's just the rental prices have gotten so high, right? In our area, we were actually starting to lose money on the midterm rental. Okay. So now we've, okay. now we've, we're converting it back in July to a long-term rental. Um, you know, we're charging more. So we're going to be making more money, not paying for things like that at the duplex, not paying for electricity and water. Let's get to the duplex in, in a second here. Sure. I have one more item, which is travel savings. Ah, you guys yeah. Like well, there's two more items. The th no questions asked fun money and the travel savings combined. I, I like the no questions asked fun money. That's good. That's well, healthy. you would. I, I like the, <laughs> the travel savings though. You're spending $6,000 a year on travel. Now that's fine. You may like to travel and all that. You can, you can definitely afford it to, to some degree, but I would challenge you. You're doing a rehab. You got all these credit cards and all this stuff. Why not, why not challenge yourself to get that, to get travel rewards and use points effectively if you're if you're going to be doing putting large expenses in your rehab onto these credit cards and not see if you can knock that down to 200 a month or 100 a month um, to cover the incidentals so that you have and you can pay for the flights and hotels with with travel rewards. That's a research opportunity that I think could save you four or five thousand dollars in your situation because of the amount you're spending on cards for rehabs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point too. I mean, we just started this. You know, I've been, we've been listening to your podcast, and so we thought oh, we should have a travel fund because we've never had a travel fund, and we really don't ever travel. So we thought it would be a good idea to start one, so we could. Um, like, we'll go a whole year without going anywhere. Um, so we thought, like, well, let's put money aside and do this uh, as something we could use. Like, if we want to go down to Destin for a weekend, you know, we could do that, and so. Uh, rewards credit cards is another great idea. I use the Amazon. I have an Amazon credit card, which gets me lots of points, but no like travel points. Uh, I have a Lowe's credit card, which saves me 5% all the time. Well, well the, the, so to the Southwest cards right now, what you can do is if you spend 3000 in the first three months, you get 50,000 points. And if you spend 12,000 in the first year, you get another 50,000 points. So that's a hundred thousand points. You spend a little bit more. You're also getting points for dollar spent. You spend a little bit more on your rehab. Now you've got 125,000 Southwest points, which gets you the companion pass um, for Southwest. Okay. You just buy one, get one, and do that. So there are research opportunities like that um, to uncover. If you don't want to fly Southwest, you want you want to drive and have hotel points, then maybe like the Sapphire Preferred or something like that might be a good card um, okay. to explore. I was just hesitant to get another credit card. Even if it's just like locked away in some travel lockbox that I can only get to when we're traveling. I think if you're gonna spend money on the well, so we'll get we'll get to cash flow management as well um, in okay. here. But but I think if you're gonna spend money on the rehab and it's gonna go on a credit card, it might as well go on a credit card that's gonna get you travel rewards points if you're okay if you're thinking about that. So yeah, no, that makes sense. I've been I have a USAA card that gets me points, but it, it's very you know you can turn it in for cash. But it's just such a small amount, it's hardly worth it. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, 
we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. So, yeah, looking for something that would have bigger rewards would be great. So, 
this is where I'm going to jump in because I have done all of this. I have done a ton of live and flips with rehabs that I am swiping my card on all the time. I will say open up one card at a time. Mm-hmm. You want a hotel card, you want a uh, airline card, or do you want a, like Scott just said, the Chase Sapphire Preferred card? It has a $500 annual fee, which really, really, really hurts to pay. That's the but reserve card. I have the yes, preferred the card, card which has a $75 <laughs> fee or whatever it is. So. Yes. So I didn't like the great big fee, but you get something like $300 in travel vouchers like just a credit towards so that now it's only a $200 fee when you take that into consideration and then it's like you more than make up for it if you use the points the right way and there's all sorts of articles if you search um I think they're called Chase Ultimate Rewards points and if you research those it's you earn a point for every dollar you spend and those points can be transferred to Southwest so you you want to spend 10,000 Southwest points, you transfer 10,000 over. And there's all sorts of, like there's people who devote their whole life to telling you how best to spend these points. So definitely do some research on those when you're getting ready to travel. But there are a lot of really great ways to, to really cash in on, I mean, you would spend the money on the rehab anyway. Why not have that fund your vacation. So now your vacation costs you $12 instead of $1,200. I will say from my own personal experience, open up one card, get that spend, know in your head that you need to spend $3,000 or $5,000 or whatever. It's so easy to do. I have spent so much money at Home Depot and Lowe's. And then open up another card and hit that spend. But when you open up two cards at the same time, you might forget, and then you don't get the spend on either one of them, and then it's a big mess, yeah. um, and you miss out. And I did that on purpose, or I did that on accident once, and I was really mad. No, that makes sense. I don't think this is like your your number one opportunity here, but I think it's an important one. Your number, What you need to be focusing on is, is sit, sit back and say, over the course of a year, how much cash am I generating? And And I mean that by income minus expenses in your personal life, right? And then where am I deploying that is the next question, right? You're, you're deploying that right now all to your rehab, right? And 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 really it's going into, you're, you're pulling all that and then some into the rehab, which is why your credit card balances are going up, right? But if you can get that number to increase from what we can kind of the 18,000 I'm ballparking it at right now per year to 30,000, 50,000, 75,000 over the next five years, that is that is the formula. That's the foundation of the engine that will move you towards financial freedom. And then it's about, okay, I'm going to deploy that. I'm going to rehab. I'm going to buy real estate. I'm going to invest in stocks, whatever that can compound. But those investments are subject to the whims of the market um, to some degree, right? Um, those will go up and down. So you need, you need this baseline engine um, to be stronger in the next couple of years. And that's going to involve a disciplined budget in your case. And I think continuing to be open-minded as the next one, two, three, four, five years pass about income opportunities. Is there a traveling nurse opportunity that doubles her income that is also a good gig? Okay, maybe I got to make some hard decisions at that point because of the the impact that will have on these other bigger goals from a financial perspective with that. So those will be, those will be things to think through. Yeah, I think that it makes sense to kind of focus on those fundamentals first. 
um, and get that sort of sorted out and, you know, do what you're talking about in terms of like kind of snowballing that savings, you know, and paying off of debt. Um, I guess I'm, I'm wondering like, what else can I do to make more money? So I, th- I think the biggest opportunity with that is your housing, which is exactly what you're doing. So walk me through your single family house that you own right now. You moved out of the duplex, your house hacking. What was your thought process with this house? Um, it was cheap and I knew I could fix it up was really the whole thought process. It, it's kind of funny. The duplex is only three doors down the street. And so we tried a new real estate tactic. I believe it's a new strategy called walking dogs for dollars. Love it. And so, so we walked out, we, you know, we got to know the neighbors and there was a couple here who had an RV and they were planning to retire and they wanted to sell their house. And, you know, it's a, it's a longer story, but basically they, they wanted to sell it to us. Um, and so I, I think this is, you know, houses in my neighborhood right now are, you know, it's a Chattanooga is a cheaper market comparatively, but this house will probably go after rehab for two seventy five to three hundred thousand, and we bought it for a little under one sixty two. This is the way. This is what I. This is this is I think the the way you 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 solve this problem, right? Um, how long have you lived in the house? Less than two years. It'll be two years in August. Two years in August. Will you be done the rehab in August? I hope so. I'm, I'm putting in a half bath. So, you know, that kind of plumbing, I'm not sure. But yeah, I think most of it will be done in August. So you've got the summer, right, um, as a professor to, to work on the project, to project manage, to do it yourself, whatever with that, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So so that's a $160,000 gain that we're talking about, mm-hmm. tax-free, right, that you'll yeah. be able to, to redeploy from that. Right. And, 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 and so, so I think, I think that strategy is really sound. We have a house hack and, you know, you're saying, Hey, you know, most of your wealth right now is in your house hack is because of your house hack and what you're doing from a housing situation. I love that approach. That's what bigger pockets is all about uh, to a large degree. You are, you know, subject to some market risk with that, but I think the fun, the fundamentals are really strong for that. How much, have you put in, so you bought it for what and how much are you going to have put in by the time you complete the rehab? We bought for one sixty one five um, in August of 2020, and we've got about 26000 into it. And how much more needs to go into it to complete it by August? You know, I, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 5000 to 7500 It just depends on how the plumbing goes. Great. So, so seventy five hundred, maybe let's call it ten thousand because things never go on on time or on budget uh, with with a rehab here, um, and that will so that will put you one hundred sixty plus thirty thousand, maybe forty thousand into it, and you'll sell it for two sixty. So you'll you'll make a sixty thousand. How much? How much you say it was sold for? I'm, I'm losing myself again. It, it could. I think it could go for two seventy five to three hundred thousand. I'm adding a half bath. It only has one bath, but it has three bedrooms. Okay, so it's kind of a, a, a smaller mid-century house. So eighty, this is an eighty to one hundred thousand dollar tax-free gain that you'll be able to pocket at the end of, when it's all said and done, um, after the purchase price plus the rehab, and you'll probably walk away with much more than eighty grand. You'll probably walk away with, you know, a hundred and hundred twenty thousand dollars of that because the that that cost is into equity now into the property, right? Um, is, is that is that realistic? I, I think that's realistic. Uh, I guess my follow-up question is like, should we sell it? I mean, does it make it? Does it make any sense with this particular home 
to keep it as a rental property. I almost always bias towards, yes, sell the primary residence. If you didn't buy it with the specific intention of keeping it as a rental long-term, because let's, let's, let's do this. You sell it, you're going to incur some sales costs. Maybe let's call it 8% of the, of the property value to, to sell it, but you're also going to be um, harvesting a hundred, you know, 80, a hundred thousand dollar uh, capital gain with no tax uh, uh, effect, right? So if you move, if you keep it as a rental for many years after that, then you're gonna you're gonna um, uh, you're, you're going to have to pay tax at some point if you don't sell it before the five year kind of cutoff period. So that that I think is a good strategy at the highest level is to bias heavily towards always selling the primary, even though it's hard. That's the property you know, and that's the one you're, you're comfortable with. It's right next to the other, you know, other one with that. Sweat and blood and lots of tears sometimes. <laughs> but I think the strategy and the way the tax system works should bias you towards that. Um, and then also you have a personal financial situation to clean up here. Um, to some degree. So like what I would love to see from your financial position is something like, hey, I've got 30 grand in cash reserves after my next down payment on my next property. I've wiped out this credit card debt that's got to be causing you stress um, and, and, and a never ending game of, you know, 0% over here, 0% over here. Like, that's right. Wipe, wipe all it's that, a dance. Yeah, wipe all that out. Maybe wipe out the car loan, depending, you know, a car loan is not at a high interest rate probably, but you know, I'd love to see the proceeds from the sale go into, okay, I got a $30,000 cash reserve or something in that ballpark, whatever you're comfortable with six months. I've got no credit card debt and I'm, I'm beginning the next project with this, with a reasonable, healthy down payment. I, I would just do it again, this live and flip. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the benefit that I have is I can use that VA home loan. Yep. Perfect. As well. So. so then you don't even need, so then you can, then you can have that reserve and you can put, you can put the rest into, you could maybe buy two properties with this. You could buy uh, an, a single, an owner occupied home with 0% down and maybe a small rental um, with the proceeds after paying off your, 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 your other cash. I, I think, I think that the, I would love if we could go unwind a little bit um, if we go back in time for you to be in a slightly stronger financial position prior to attacking the current project. And I think like, it's a little like, Oh, what's going to happen with the market later in this year. But I don't think you have much of a choice. I think you have to plow ahead and finish your rehab here and attempt to sell in August. Um, at that point in time to harvest, to harvest the gain. And who knows, maybe you'll get slightly less gain, you know, depending on how the market goes or whatever, slightly less gain or whatever. And then, you know, who can time all that, but then you'll be buying the next one at that much lower of a price anyways. So, but I, I think, I think your live in flip strategy is the way for, for you with this. So focus on that foundation expenses minus income. And then you live and flick, uh, live and flip a few times over the next, you know, two times over the next five years, and buy, you know, a rental with that strong position as as things get going. You could be sitting in a position three years from now where you've got all your credit card paid off. You've got a second live and flip completed. Maybe that nets you a hundred to one hundred and fifty if you can back into numbers that 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 work like that in tax free capital gains. You've got your duplex here and you've bought one more rental property. You've also got your student loans forgiven and you have a timeline that's very clear for Kendra's student loans, right? Is that financial freedom? No, but you're now sitting, you're, 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 you're closer, much closer to a million than you are to 500,000 in personal net worth. 
with maybe some better better options. How's that sound? Does that sound realistic? No, I think that sounds really realistic. I mean, I was always like five years is a dream. Ten years is probably more realistic depending on how things go. Um, so I think that kind of plan makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess my one question is like, we've been toying with that idea of getting a short-term rental someplace because we know that the potential for cash flow uh, is much greater than any other kind of rental, it, it seems like. Um, so we were, you know, we were considering maybe we should just stay here and sit on the equity that's here. Uh, maybe we can refinance it if the rates come. I mean, the rates aren't, I don't think the rates were awful. I bought my duplex at 4.75. Mm-hmm. So I know they're up over five these days. Um, but would it make any sense for us to stay here, possibly refinance? pull out cash from there or refinance on the duplex because it has so much equity and use that for something like a short-term rental. Yeah. So, so I, again, I, I, I bias heavily towards selling your primary right now. Right. And, and I know it's probably different living in it, seeing it, working on it with all that. But from my seat here in Denver at the strategy level, I'm just like, okay, you're going to have 120 or $130,000 left in this, in this thing. You can buy your next property and flip it with 0% down with a VA loan um, for this. You can pull that $120,000 out. Right now, you've got a ton of other debt financed way worse than your, the, the, this mortgage will be. If you cash out refi, you're not going to be able to get most of that 120000 out. You're going to get like 40 out. Right, which which does not attack the meat of your of your financial situation with that, and so it could work out. You could you could there could be many other things that you think about um, in the in the weeks or months following our call here. But my bias is like it's screaming, sell this place, use the proceeds to like reset and clean up, make sure that financial foundation is really strong, and you're generating cash at a, in a snowballing way on a go for on a go forward basis. And then I got absolutely no problem with the short-term rental. I think that would be great um, if, if you're interested in short-term rentals. That is a great, great thing to do in general. Um, I, I would, I would just caution you that uh, the vacation, like a lot of people want to buy these short-term rentals in like Vail. You know, if you live in Denver, I like to go to Vail. Right? Vail is really good at taking money from people who don't live there. Right, and you're competing with people who don't want to make money, who but who are very wealthy and just want a place to go that's theirs that they'll rent out sometimes. So you're competing with people who are willing to operate at a significant loss to just offset their luxury vacations with that. So I would really think hard about your short-term rental market, and I wouldn't necessarily bias towards the place you like to visit the most, although that can be a factor. I would go, where's the most money? I'm going to make the most money I can for my dollars. And then I'm going to spend it wherever the heck I want. <laughs> Not, you know, so, so like, I'm right. like, I'm going to, I'm going to make my money here in Denver on properties. I know in a market, in, a, in an environment I'm very comfortable with, where I know I'm competing with true investors. Um, not people who are willing to go at a loss. And then I'm going to spend my money in Vail, um, visiting the other, the guy, the guy who's subsidizing me really, um, uh, with, 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 with their fancy short-term rental. Um, so that's how I would think about it at the highest level. I'd bias you towards that mentality. And then like Destin, Florida might be a perfect short-term rental market for, because that's what everyone does there. And that it's not really like a, a thing, but if you're biased towards that, you're, you're, you're at risk 
of compete of competing against people who are playing a different game than you. Mm, that makes sense. That is a really important thing to note, Scott. Um, and yeah, I couldn't, uh, I could not have said that better because there are, and this isn't any market. You need to make the offer based on your numbers, and you are going to be sometimes competing with people who are playing a different game, and that's fine. They, it really makes me sad when people are like, I have to win at any cost, make the highest offer possible, win, win, win. And you're like, but other people are doing different things with their money. And that's, you know, they might be wiping away or kicking taxes down the road through a 1031 that makes it advantageous for them to pay $20,000 more where even though they're not going to be making much money on this because they're about to lose their 1031 protections. So they make the offer that's higher and then now they have more time. They've just bought themselves more time to go and find another better 1031 plant property, you know, down the road. So I do like Scott's suggestion. I do want to bring up that he's got a 2.75% loan on his primary mortgage, Scott. And rates are right now, they're in the high fives. Um, What can you get a property for currently? Like if you were to go out and buy a house tomorrow. I think that is that is a factor. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's not something to be taken lightly, but what like what house price are you looking at right now? Could you get another house for 160 or are they already up to 225? I would say they're all up around 300. Even for something that even for something that has, you know, wallpapered bathrooms from the 70s. There's a and there's all and there's all the brown and gray combos that the fix and flippers are are creating these days, which is very unattractive. Color scheme. Uh, I don't know why you'd have like brown floors with great walls or cabinets. It's just, it's really odd. But yeah, anything you, you want to buy here in Chattanooga that's decent is probably going to be somewhere in that $300,000 range. And then you're still going to have to do work on it. I, I think, I think that, that, that the interest rate is an interesting thing. If your interest rate is going to jump from two to 5% on the property, that needs to be thought through from a financial consideration, right? You're going to be paying more. You're, you're going to be, consolidating all of your debt from a blended, you know, most of your debt right now is at a 2.75% interest rate, right? Then you have chunks that are at higher interest rates, presumably, and credit cards that are much higher interest rates. So you consolidate that all into a 5% mortgage. Are you better or worse off um, with a new property? I I don't know. That's an interesting, interesting question there. But it, you know, I if without that as a factor, I would definitely bias towards selling the property and consolidating all of these things, I think that there might be some complicated math to to think through about what is my what happens to my blended rate, the risk profile, all that kind of stuff. Most of your high interest debt is short term debt on these properties, yeah, and and you're not going to be able to refinance that into your your duplex necessarily. So okay, so let's do this. If if you decide, you know what, I'm going to keep the place as a rental because of the interest rate thing the tax considerations and um, the ability to clean up my position and pay off these other debts with the proceeds from the sale, they don't outweigh the overwhelming advantage of this, the low interest rate I've got currently on the property. Um, If that was the case, then we'd have to think, we'd still have to, okay, you're going to pull out, you're not going to pull out anything um, at that point because you can't refinance the 
the, the loan. So how do we attack the rest of your financial position from that future state, right? Because you're going to end this process. You're going to have no cash. You're going to be trying to get the next property. And you have all of these, this pile, this pile of various debts that we have to address one by one or, or, or as a group. I was going to suggest a medium interest rate HELOC yeah. where he can take some – right now he's got a couple of cards at 0% interest. Great. Pay – you've got one at 12%. Pay that 12% off as fast as you can. I don't well, see what Well, I think you refinance to the HELOC. That's what you do. You take the HELOC or, out and pay off the credit or card Or take debt. the HELOC and pay that off and keep those 0% and then there you go. Thank you, Scott. I'm not thinking – seven steps ahead, yeah. uh, pay that four, $4,000 off, and then look at those those ones that are 0%, pay those off, or wait until they're at the higher percent, kill those with the HELOC, and throw all your money at the HELOC, because then you're paying the lower interest rate. You're not opening all these credit cards to try and do that, because the balance transfer game used to be, we're both old enough to remember, it was free to balance transfer, and then they started charging you like 3%, 3% of yeah. the mm -hmm. transfer fee, and that made it not so much fun anymore. But if you can keep these 0% for 15 months, I think you could knock out the $4,000 while these other ones are at 0%, we didn't say what Kendra's interest rate is. We could knock that one out, probably while these are still at 0%. And then, Wait, we, you know- we, we can't just take out a HELOC and pay off the, the, the loans. We're, we're going to get charged a 3% balance transfer fee in order to do that? No, we can pay those off now, but they're at 0% right now. It's silly to pay the HELOC money on when he's got them at 0% for 15 months. So I think that's fair, but I, I would I would I would say let's say you complete the project, you're in August and you're at decision time. Am I selling or keeping? Right? I, and I still think you probably have a bias towards selling, even after all of this discussion. But supposing you go with the 30% the chance that you do want to keep the place um, long term, I think then you open up the HELOC and I think you pay off a bunch of these cards, starting with the highest interest rate ones, but also some of the ones that are at zero, because you don't know what the future is going to hold, right? You don't want to be sitting here a year from now. You don't have enough cash flow this year to pay off all of the that stack of debts. So you don't want to be in a position where you have to, where you're left holding the bag on these interest rates and they've come in because of a bad market conditions or whatever. I don't think you want to rush to do it, but I don't think you want to, you know, it's not an emergency, but I think, I think you want to make that decision, consolidate and clean it up. Not year in advance, but months in advance of when you're going to be running into, you know, problems with that, because that, that HELOC, you know, is depend, you know, dependent on, you don't want timing to, to come into play. Well, lucky for Rick, he is a self-professed spreadsheet aficionado. So he That's can right. take all this information, run all these fancy uh, scenarios and decide what is the best choice for him. But I do like the idea of opening up a HELOC to because those are going to be a little bit higher than a mortgage rate, but way less than a credit card rate. So um, if you've got the ability to open that up right now, I would do that. And then if you go and sell it in August, they'll just close that out for you. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I wasn't really sure how to go about the HELOC. Um, you know, I know that what they have adjustable rate loan, uh, adjustable rate. It's adjustable so rate. I was always a little skittish about those. It's only on what you take out. So there's a there's a he, there's a home equity line of credit and a home equity loan. Okay. Um, and the line of credit 
you can borrow and then pay back and borrow and pay back. It's like this big pool of money that you can borrow from. A home equity loan is you borrow it and then you pay it back, but you don't have it open all the time. Okay. So you want the line of credit so you can borrow it again if you need it. Maybe some amazing deal pops up down the street where another neighbor wants to go join your other RV neighbors and they're like, yeah, I'll give this to you for 160. And you're like, okay, great. Here's my down payment and let me go find the loan now for the other property. And maybe- that makes this whole thing really easy, and now you can sell this property. Um, yep. Maybe that doesn't work out, but having the line of credit open is—I really like that option. I would definitely go and open the line of credit. I, in terms of using it, you can then draw it when you need to to do these things. And you might say, "I'm paying high interest right now on card F. I'm going to go with." This I'm going to pay that one off with the with the HELOC, and I'm going to pay instead of ten percent, three per, three four four percent on the on the HELOC here, and and I would do the HELOC on your primary, not on the duplex, yes. because you're going to get a better you're going to get a better rate. It's going to be a lower volume, but I don't think you need tons of that right now. Um, mm-hmm. So so I would I would put it on the yeah right. So so that would be based off of the equity in the single family home our primary residence. And then how do they figure out that value? Do they just look at comps? Do they like, how do they figure out like how much I can get in the HELOC? Well, you can get an appraisal or they, they will just, they, they may just kind of like say, Hey, we're going to, we think it's probably about this and we're going to cut it down to here to be conservative and get you this, give you this much. But Mindy will probably, yeah. Yeah. It's just like buying a house. There's either an appraisal where they come out and actually see the house or they could do a desktop appraisal where they just look at the comps around. And they'll, they'll just give you less on the like on the, the desktop appraisal. They'll charge you for the real appraisal. Um. <laughs> no, that sounds like a, it sounds like a good plan. I'll, I'll definitely look into that right away. Okay. Awesome. So let, let's kind of recap where, where we're at here. I think step one is, is back to, to fundamentals and basics. You need to generate more cash annually. And the, the the lever we have right now is in your budget. It's not a ton, but there is perhaps a thousand dollars a month more that we can we can pull out of that get get out of that budget, which is twelve thousand dollars a year. That brings you from eighteen thousand in accumulation to thirty. It's a big difference, right? That's your entire all of your uh consumer debt outside of the car um is paid off in a year with that amount of cash flow generation. That makes things a lot simpler here. Second, I think is is um, uh, the the primary house right now. Um, I I still think that you know it's a little wonk. We'll see how things are in August with that. But I I still think you got a heavy bias towards selling that place and using that as an opportunity to clear out all of these debts or the HELOC and or the HELOC. Um, and then you're sitting in a really good spot with you know easily sixty seventy thousand dollars in cash that you can deploy towards the next opportunity. Maybe it's a, I'm going to buy another one with my VA loan, put nothing down and fix it up. And I have 30,000 for the rehab as a buffer. And then I can put the other 40,000 into a short-term rental or another property that I'm interested in buying as, an, as more of an investment or the, the starting chunk towards that next investment with that. Um, and, and then I think, um, and, and I think, I think that's the, the essence of the strategy we've we've talked about thus far, actually, we have one more item, which is the duplex here, uh, which I think is another another huge 
there's probably a few other things, but I want to spend a moment on the duplex. You have 200 grand in equity on this duplex. It means your, your loan is like 150 and the property is worth like 350. Is that right? I'd say probably closer to about 300,000. So the, it's hard to find exact comps, but uh, the comparables I've seen recently are around the 250 to 275 range, but they're not nearly as nice. Okay. And what's your mortgage on? I say, I say that with s- some small amount of pride, but- uh, I love it. What's the, what's the mortgage on it? Uh, that's $1,133. And the balance? Um, I believe that was 147, 148. Okay. So this is most of your wealth is in this property. Well, 40, 40% of your wealth is in this property. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fair. Okay. And then how much rent are you getting from the duplex or will you get once you make the change, you're you're making some changes. What will be your future state income by the end of the year for this? Um, I believe that, well, I know that we're cash flowing just offhand. I know that we're cash flowing about $500 per door in the duplex. And you said you were going to, um, move it from a medium term to a long-term rental and that was going to increase right. things. So what will your cash flow be at the end of the year? Um, it, it would end up really just going up about $100 a month. So it'd be $1,100 a month in cash flow. Awesome. And, and for the whole duplex. Do you have a bank account for this or is this getting deposited yeah. into your your main bank? No, it goes straight it goes in straight into a separate account. Okay. And how much cash do you have there? About 4,000 right now. And that's because we we switched to the midterm rental. We put about five thousand into it, and then rents kind of skyrocketed in our area, and it didn't make sense anymore to keep up the midterm rental. And because we're rehabbing this house, we're just going to take a bunch of the stuff that we put over there that we bought and bring it over to this uh, primary house. So that took out a big chunk of our revenue last year, and so this year things are going to be much better. Okay, great. I, I don't think I don't think you have that much to do here, actually, now that we've talked about it. I think 50-50 debt to equity is a little low on the debt side, but like super comfortable. You're getting $1,000 a month in cash flow from this property. Um, $12,000 a year adds on to your position with this. I, I do think you have a capitalization um, issue. Uh, same deal. You have uh, too many of these little debts down, down here and too much... Um, uh, complexity with how you're going to manage cash flow. Do I pay off this debt? Do I put it toward the rehab? Do I do all this kind of stuff? And so I think when you finish the housing project, your your single family house this summer, and make your decision to either get the HELOC or sell it, that that's another opportunity here. You want to be, you'll be more, I would be uncomfortable until I had a situation where I had 10 to 15,000 at least sitting for that rental set aside and then maybe another 10, 15, 20,000 for my personal situation, a 30,000, maybe total lump, but that will, that will get you. Now I don't have to go and drop the HELOC or get another credit card thing to make repairs here. That's a strong capitalization position. And you're just going to, I think you're going to be able to be more opportunistic and more, um, and be more, I think, I think will help your investing activities. If you have a liquidity position that you're able to build towards and that you're constantly replenishing with cash flow from your, your life on an annual basis. So, and that, that all can take place by October, September of this year. If you complete the rehab. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's really useful because I mean, I, re, we make a good, good salaries mm-hmm. and we have a good, decent quality of life. Um, but I, I just, 
every month I feel like we're living kind of check to check because of all these rehab expenses. Yep. So got it. Got it. Now you can't stop now. <laughs> you no. Got to finish the rehab, <laughs> and that's going to leave you vulnerable a little bit right. until yeah. until the event happens where you've completed the rehab and made your decision on the next thing and either stabilize it as a long term rental that you're going to keep with the heat with. But I would here's the thing. I would I would encourage you to pull out the HELOC. Uh, before you move out of it, right? You could tell your lender that too. You don't want to do anything nefarious with that, but I think you get a better rate on a primary HELOC than you will as a rental property with that. So maybe a lender could help us out with that and make sure that there's, we can ask that in the, the Bigger Pockets Money Facebook group to make sure that there's no no uh, no issues there from an ethical um, or legal standpoint. But I think my, my bias tells me there's an opportunity to pull out the HELOC before you move out um, and and that will get you better rates and better terms. It can be found at facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. And I will type this into the Facebook group this morning on the day that this show releases, which is Friday, May 20th. What what else can we help you with, Rick? Has this been helpful? This has been super helpful. I mean, it's answered a lot of questions that have been nagging me really for months <laughs> as rehab costs. I mean, I, I've been playing the balance transfer dance for decades um, and, you know, and it, and it's worked uh, on the one hand, it's worked in a, in a particular way, but you know, there, there have to be better ways. And I think you've given me those better ways of doing things, um, so that I can kind of move forward. And, you know, we, we had been thinking about possibly selling the house. And I think you've really kind of confirmed that for us, that, that, that's something we need to really seriously consider, um, if we want to have like a, a good foundation moving forward. Yeah, I, I think the only the only major blocker to selling the house for me would again be if there's a huge interest rate spread and you're effectively reconsolidating all your debt into a much higher interest rate. That would be the only way that, that would be a major problem. And it still might be more advantageous in that one because it might allow you to to do a bigger flip with more upside downstream to some degree or, or something like that. But but I think that if you're not there there is a situation where it may not be. There there may be a, an alternative. But so think it through with that. But I I don't know what the right answer is there, but I, I bias towards this the sale generally in these these types of situations. Now, are there any resources for like figuring out that kind of comparison? Like, I do love spreadsheets, but I don't know how to use formulas. <laughs> so I am pretty much like you know addition and subtraction sort of level spreadsheet skill. Interesting. Um, I think I think this is a spreadsheet exercise. Uh, unfortunately, because <laughs> I think I think you have to kind of say, okay, what are my what are what are each what's each debt? What's the amortization period? What's my interest rate on it? And, and it's not just interest rates; it's the, also the amortization period, right? So, and and it's which ones are are variable rates? Like your credit card rates are going to go up in an interest rate in an interesting in an increasing interest rate environment. Your HELOC is going to go up in an increasing interest rate environment. Your fi- your mortgage is going to be fixed most likely in, 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 for thirty years. So just because that mortgage, you know that that the 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 mortgage rate is lower risk than these other these other types of debts. So I think there's a a, a multi-faceted thing. I think you have to go in and say, here's ba- you know, debt one, here's the interest rate, here's my payment terms with that, here's debt two. And then it will be some math, but also some subjectivity. You know, how do I feel? Which one do I want to pay off first? Because it's technically better to leave this one here, but it could go up a lot in a rising interest rate environment. And that's going to, you know, give me some stress next year. So I think, I think that's where it's a, why it's a, 
inherently a spreadsheet exercise, although there may be some resources out there. We'll have to, again, ping our Facebook group for that. Um, maybe I'm not thinking of them. Yeah, I think the help of an existing mortgage calculator will help you with the amortization schedule so you don't have to do that one yourself. That's right. Um, and then just, but yet, like Scott said, it's going to be subjective. Oh, okay, my interest, my payment right now is 1100 and when it goes up, it would be 1700 Ooh, that doesn't feel good at all. I want to stay here. Or my payment is 1100 and it would go up to 1300 That's more doable. Maybe I do want to do this. I think it's going to be more like 1700 or even 2000 because not only are you paying a higher interest rate, you're also paying more for the property. So I'm not saying don't sell. I'm saying look at your options and it's entirely subjective. But, you know, run the numbers. Numbers don't lie. And when you have them, like I'm just making numbers up right now. When you have them in front of you and you're looking at real true numbers, you can it, – it could be very easy to make the decision. It could be really hard. That's, you know, that's why it's your research opportunity and not mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, hope for the easy decision. Okay. Rick, this was super fun. I really enjoyed going through your numbers and I – I heard you struggling with your situation when I read through your application, but you're doing great. Just because you're having a bit of a cash crunch now doesn't mean you're not in a good financial position. So I hope you're feeling better about your situation. I think you're doing a lot of great things. I think a little bit of rearranging, a little bit of you know rethinking, this versus that, and you'll be doing phenomenally. I'm not sure retiring in five years is going to be the case, but 10, I think, is a really great doable goal. Mm -hmm. And the five years is more just because we're about to enter, you know, a period of down markets. Well, that's perfect for you, right? Because you'll be starting your investment. You'll be doing the bulk of your investing journey over the next right. five years. <laughs> In a, in a yeah. right. so, <laughs> so I should get the HELOC now and not wait. I would definitely start talking to different lenders. That, that's what, that's why I'm, you know, I, like you never time the markets here, but there's definitely a first time in um, history. Most Americans think now is a, not a good time to buy a home. Um, that came out from Gallup this week. Now, paradoxically, people think that prices are going to go up um, <laughs> for housing. Um, so that's, that's interesting, but it's, people don't think it's a good time to buy a home. Investor sentiment for the stock market is bearish right now overall. And, and those are, those are all things that to consider with that, which is why you like to act with more speed here. But again, we're, we're recording this in May and your timeline is to complete the rehab by August, right? Got to do that. I think at this point, it's just too close to the finish line and, and, and lots of other things happen. That's a gamble. I think you, you need to, to, to take and finish out as quickly as possible with it. Um, but it could be, it could, that could be bad luck where if there's a problem in the meantime, but I think, I think that's the sense of urgency I would apply to completing this project over the next three months, um, to make sure that you, you are in a much stronger position, um, to attack the second half of the year and the next three years. Yeah, it makes sense. So what you're telling me is I should stop working on the baseboards today, replacing those, and move on to researching HELOCs uh, no, and finding and talking to some I'm, banks. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that uh, opposite. Finish the baseboards, finish the rehab, get the project done, so you have the option to sell, and or your house will appraise at the maximum value when you need to get the debt, the debt financing, the rehab. Yeah, I think that was that was my question. Like. Shh, 
So don't do the HELOC now because the project's not done and you won't get that high you could, appraisal. You could talk about the HELOC. It might be that the, pro- the property is already worth enough more where you could consolidate some of these things. And you're like, oh, I get a balance. I can get a HELOC of $70,000 right now. I don't need $70,000. <laughs> Great. Um, game over. I don't have to worry about that. And I can take that and begin consolidating some of the debts at this point, maybe the ones that are not 0%, but some of them you could knock out. Um, and you could draw down on that and have a little bit more cash to some degree to finish the rehab a little bit more comfortably. So you might, you might do that now. Um, that might be a good, but, but you know, when you come home from the appointment with the the lender, you finish the baseboards. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe I could buy better pads (laughs) with the HELOC. Okay. Well, Rick, thank you so much for your time today and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Scott, that was Rick. And I really like where he's at right now. He wishes he started earlier. Well, don't we all, Rick? Um, I think he is, I think he's been too hard on himself in the past. And I think that we really shared with him and showed him that he's not doing as bad as he thought he was. Yeah, I, I mean, Rick's doing great. He's got hundreds of thousands of dollars in wealth. He's got a number of moving pieces. He's got a number of advantages. The, I mean, if we list out all the things that are going to be different, perhaps one year from now, right? He'll have accumulated twenty to thirty thousand more dollars in cash. He will have gotten fifty-five thousand dollars in student loans forgiven. Um, which, by the way, we should have reminded him he has to plan for the tax consequences of that. Um, student loan forgiveness. He will have completed his home project and likely be able to harness the home equity in there, either with a home equity line of credit, which will help him consolidate other debts, or by selling the property and redeploying it into cash flow and rental real estate, and perhaps a rehab, a second rehab, um, and another live and flip, which can propel his wealth. He's got a great job. His partner has a, has a wonderful job as well. They're, they're doing great, and they could be having $100,000, $200,000 more in wealth, um, in the next 18 to 24 months, and maybe multiple hundreds of thousands more in the next three to five years um, by pursuing their plan. So lots of good things going on here. Um, lots of lots of advantages. And I think he's going to he's gonna have some good wins over the next couple of years. Yes. In months and years, I think his goal of five years retirement might be a little too aggressive, but I think seven to 10, he will be able to realize his dreams and be able to retire and travel the world, do whatever he wants to do and sit really, really pretty based on uh, some of the actions that we have suggested today. That's right. Okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 302 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen saying, ready, set, go, Joe. Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate 
to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.